guys, welcome back to Black Fashion History, the Black Excellence Podcast that teaches you everything you need to know about the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. And of course, I'm your host, Taniqua Russ. If you are a returning listener, you already know that and you probably skipped the first couple of seconds of this podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Come on in, take a seat, grab a pen and paper, take some notes because you are going to get educated. Now, I hope you all are doing well. I hope y'all are staying at home still. I hope everyone is wearing their mask and protecting themselves, staying healthy and safe. Shout out to all of the essential workers who cannot afford to stay home because they are helping everyone else survive we love you and we appreciate you okay guys so i'm gonna give you a little bit of warning about today's episode you are going to hear me fan girling okay let me tell you why well first let me tell you a little bit about me and then kind of set you up and you'll understand so i love sitcoms especially black sitcoms i love them i love them i love them the ones from the 90s the 2000s they're all great so i'm talking about you know martin's living singles uh sister sister half and half eve uh what else the parkers moesha family matters hanging with mr cooper parenthood um all of them i love love black sitcoms but my absolute favorite sitcom of all time matter of fact it's my favorite show of all time is a different world like I've seen every single episode admittedly except for the first season I just cannot get into it that's the season that Denise was on and I just never was feeling it but seasons two to five those are my jam I know the words I know the characters I know the clothing I know the songs I know every single thing i love 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 that show favorite sitcom of all time and then more recently because i've been staying at home due to covid19 y'all know the deal because y'all in the same situation i've been watching living single over and over on hulu i love living single like i told y'all i love all sitcoms living single is another one of my top sitcoms that i enjoy watching so I was re-watching episodes of Living Single. And one thing that I do when I watch any show, um, but especially my favorite shows, at the end, I always look for the costume designer. Because part of what makes me enjoy my favorite shows are the looks. And that's why I love the sitcoms so much is because they're not only funny and you get like positive depictions of black families and black black friendships if you're into fashion you'll see that they always bring it with the fashion and you kind of feel the characters um when you look at the clothing that's why i love a different world whitley gives me looks okay freddie gives me looks you know all of the characters give me looks same thing with living single regine give me looks maxine gives me looks khadijah gives me looks even sinclair gives me looks okay so i always look for the costume designer of course i know the costume designer is for a different world my favorite show but as i was watching a living single i noticed that the same name popped up and i'm like okay girl you get to work uh and then as i'm watching other shows not just sitcoms but other shows on netflix and on television i see the same name popping up 
And so I'm like, you know what? I never realized how involved in the culture or how much this particular costume designer has shaped the culture. You know, just looking at the shows that she's worked on and how many people love them and how many people look to them to see representations of themselves, not just in the acting of the character, but in the way that they dress. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to try to shoot my shot. I will find her. I'm going to shoot my shot and see if she'll come on the show. And guess what, y'all? She came on the show. Yes. So we are about to get into an interview with the iconic costume designer, Ceci. And you may not have heard her name because you may not pay attention to the credits, but you've seen her work. As I've already mentioned, she's worked on A Different World. She's worked on Living Single, Sister, Sister, Half and Half. Uh, she currently works on a mix dish. She's done work on a Black Lady Sketch Show. She's done work on Dear White People on Netflix. Like, she is iconic. And after getting into our conversation and hearing her story, hearing her perspective on the industry, industry and all of the work that she's done I realized that she's even more iconic than I thought so yeah I cannot wait to share the conversation that we had we talk about what it takes to be a costume designer how she got started in this industry what diversity looks like how she works for diversity daily and then we got to talk about some of her amazing projects that she's worked on in the past and you will not believe what her first project was her first project ever. I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to make y'all listen. But I'm just going to say her first project ever was with a super star. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like a legit superstar. Wait till you hear the story. So sit back, relax, and take a listen to my conversation with costume designer extraordinaire, Ceci. So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. Well, first, I just want to take a minute to thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I I did um, listen to a lot of your previous episodes, and I just thought it was so um, well done and so informative. So that really, you know, gave me a lot of impetus to want to participate. So thank you for um, allowing me to introduce myself. Um, and you asked me what the role of a costume designer is, for those who don't know. I think in a nutshell, a costume designer, in my estimation, is to like visually define a character and help 
tell a story and help move that story along. That's what it is in a nutshell. Okay. So how did you find yourself becoming a costume designer? Is it something that you've always wanted to do? Is it something that you fell into? What circumstances led you to this career path? Well, interestingly enough, it, it, I, I think it, I fell into it. I um, have a double major from UC Berkeley in economics and social welfare. And, um, oh, wow. I, <laughs> right. A far <laughs> away I, from costume a, design. A long way from costume design. However, I always had that uh, skill set. I mean, I've been sewing for myself since I was four and making school clothes every day and all of that. And, you know, I didn't know that that could be any part of a career. It was just something that I naturally did, God-given talent, if you will. Um, And so when I was at uh, up north at UC Berkeley, I ended up uh, getting a job at Xerox doing spectacularly well. However, it was unfulfilling, so I quit on a Friday and gave away my everything in my apartment and drove back home and became um, a part and introduced became introduced to a uh, networking organization uh, called the Black, Black uh, what was the Black Artist or something like that. It was a Black networking organization that was basically primarily for people in the entertainment industry. I don't remember the name of it right now though, but um, they aligned themselves with another conference that was an annual conference called the Black Radio Exclusive. So they came to our organization then and said anybody who wanted to be a part of, of uh, the conference, you know, that's a part of this networking organization can jump in, you know, wherever. So the key night was a um, dinner and fashion show. So I was just like, well, you know, okay, well, let me go ahead and uh, be a part of that. So I went and designed like eight gowns and put them in the fashion show and the next morning very early I had uh, a photographer called me and says Sassy bring all your stuff to the studio I was like huh what are you talking about bring everything I said bring what he said, everything from last night anything you got in your closet just bring it just bring it and I was like okay so I go rushing to the studio and it turns out that this photographer who was also part of the networking organization um, was doing a uh a photo shoot, a commercial photo shoot for Mountain Dew, and the stars were um, Janet Jackson and um, DeBarge. Oh, so, wow. That is an amazing first project. <laughs> exactly. But I didn't know it was the first project, really. I mean, I wasn't really looking at it like that. So I was just doing what I normally do, and the art director was like, oh, my God, you are an amazing stylist. You're like the best ever you're so good oh my goodness and he was going on and on and on and I was like oh, okay yeah thanks thanks that's great and so when he walked away I whispered in the photographer's ears I was like what is the stylist and now you have to remember that that was you know what 30 years ago and back then you know we didn't have like the internet stylists were not you know celebrities in and of themselves like they are now so it was not a really a a well-known career path I mean you had to kind of be in the know and in the industry to even kind of know what that was so when he explained to me what that was it was like and he told me I was like get the heck out of here what this is a job (laughs) wait you mean to tell me and so when he broke it down I was like I I mean it was like the the the, um, classic 
aha moment where I knew that my life experience to that point, my skill set, my talents, my, you know, everything, my capabilities totally matched up with an actual career. I was like, whoa. So that was kind of like how I basically fell into it, really. Wow. Like I said, that is an amazing first project to to not know what what you're walking into and then to to come into this commercial shoot with these celebrities. That's right. amazing. And Bunny DeBarge was like, Oh my God, I love your stuff. Janet loves my stuff and Bunny was doing Soul Train like the following weekend and she was like, Oh, I want you to design something for me um to be on stage and I ended up long story short working with them on the Rhythm of the Night video and you know, it was just um you know, I wasn't really looking at it like in hindsight you see what a bigger opportunity it was, but at the time I was just trying to be getting in where I fit in. I was trying to, mm-hmm. you know, really just make sense of it all and just the fact that I was just so passionate about the fact that there was an actual career that matched up with my my interest and my talent. So, you know, and then I, I think every set that I would go to, one thing led to the other. Like I, when I, I really started doing some stylist work, I was introduced to a directory called the 911, and it has a listing of every category of every professional in the entertainment industry. So I looked at the stylist section, and I decided to arbitrarily write some stylists. And I said, okay, well, how many can I, you know, logically follow up with? So I said, okay, 20. So I wrote a letter, and the bottom line to the letter was basically saying that I wanted to um, intern, I wanted to work for free, I wanted to just learn. And then it concluded with me really kind of pulling at their heartstrings, saying, you know, at some point when you first started, somebody gave you a chance. It's all I'm asking for is a chance. So the first response was this lady needing assistance for this uh, 17 Christmas commercial for a major department store. So I did that. And every what I learned was every single set that I went to, and I would suggest that anybody starting in the business, every time you're in the environment, talk to every single person that you can, like get information, because those are the resources. They'll ultimately know somebody who knows somebody who's looking for something, who needs this, who needs that, who's, who's working on this project. Who's, you know what I'm saying? So one thing led to another. That one Christmas commercial, 17 of them, that led me to doing prop styling. And the prop styling led me to doing more videos. And the videos led me to do stage. And then the stage led me to do, you know, TV and movies. So, you know, because... I was really ambitious in terms of just making sure that I stayed connected and that I networked. Um, I think I really, a lot of opportunities were afforded to me. So from the moment where you learned what a stylist was and you decided, okay, this is something that I want to do or this is something I could see myself doing, you just kind of uh, reached out to people, interned, and it just built from there? Well, um, after the commercials, I did some – I once again, I, I kind of referred back to my networking organization, 
and there were some um, art directors and photographers that were part of that. And so I started doing, like, still stuff and just stuff that builds on books. And I also, you know, I didn't really do a whole lot of interning because my sister kind of gave me the best advice she, that, that anybody's ever given me. She asked me because she knew I had moved back to L.A., from the Bay Area, and she says, oh, so what are you doing these days? And I said, well, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, being a costume designer. You know, I've been doing this, you know, style of stuff here and there. And she's like, what do you mean you're thinking about being a costume designer? I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of think that that's the next thing that I want to do. And she's like, well, just say you're it and do it. And I was like, huh? She was like, why are you thinking about it? <laughs> just say you're a costume designer. I was like, wow. And that was another light bulb moment. I was like, okay. And mind you, that takes a lot of, you know, a bit of badassness, a bad attitude to be able to pull that off. I mean, you got to be able to be confident. And the thing that I learned was through this networking organization, again, was um, I, I did a, um advertising campaign. And it was a pastor from a church that I'd been going to, and he – ran into me and he says, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm dibbling and dabbling in different things, trying to figure out what I want to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about advertising. Now, this is before I got into the costume designing. And so he says, oh, I have, a, I have a friend who needs some advertising. And I was like, really, what kind? And he was like, oh, just have a meeting. So we had a meeting. Long story short, he needed a full-on advertising campaign. I went back and got this uh, art director who was in advertising. I said, look, I have this campaign. And I sat before this man and said, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I got in the elevator. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> but I'm going to do this. And I got the resources and the people who knew how to do it. And I said, I will hand this over to you, but you got to teach me every step of the way. And I have to be part of all the decision-making processes. And I want to learn this part of the business. So I learned it only to find out that wasn't something that I was passionate about and that I really, really loved. But the the point being is that if you decide that you're going to name it and claim it kind of a thing, you got to be able to back it up. You got to be able to say, okay, I don't know this. I don't know that. Who know who? Where can I find out how to do this? And then you know, get it done. You can't you can't just fake it. You got to really get in there and do it. And I think when I decided to just say, oh, I'm a costume designer, I didn't like I didn't work up from you know, doing a customer's job or anything like that, or PAs like a lot of people do in the industry. I just straight up just started like, oh, I'm a costume designer. All right, boom, here we go. (laughs) So where were you and what did it feel like when you got your first job as a costume designer? Well, I think – You know, that was many, many years ago, and I believe that I had done a few pilots before I actually got the most memorable job, which was um, A Different World. And that one, I remember standing in my living room and watching. It was like a rerun during the day or something like that. And and it was season one had been on, and I looked at that, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that show. And, you know, I said that so generally, I'm going to do that show, not even say I'm a costume designer that show. I just said I'm going to do that show. And um, two weeks later, a costumer, uh, a friend of mine, said, oh, they're looking for a different designer. They don't like the designer. I was like, what? 
And the seamstress on the show had, you know, she was a friend of mine, a mutual friend, and she said, yeah, they're looking for a costume designer. And I was like, okay, well, give me the information of who to contact, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, I'm sitting in front of uh, Debbie Allen with an interview with my book, which was limited. It didn't have a lot. But to Debbie's credit, you know, she, she and I really, you know, vibed, and she saw the potential. She saw um, that I was capable, and she wanted to give me that opportunity. So what it felt like to get that first job wasn't even so much as, oh, I'm excited to get it, as much as as it was, wow, this is a trip. I totally manifested this damn thing, <laughs> and here I am doing it. And I didn't really have an opportunity to stop and just, like, really experience the excitement of this being an opportunity because it was it was time to hit the ground and run with this and make this happen and, once again, learn on the job. I mean, they kind of didn't know I was learning on the job, but trust me, I was learning on the job. I was like, let me call this person. Where? How do you do this? How do you do that? And just made my way through it but it was an it was it was an exciting time and it was really a fun fun show to work on that's for sure let me tell you a different world is my most favorite show ever like (laughs) every couple of months i watch it from season one all the way to i think it's five or six not mistaken Mm -hmm. i watch it all the way through I know oh the lines, God. all of that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love a different world. Wow, wow. That was, it was, it was, um, you know, I don't think any of us at the time knew the impact that the show w- is still having on people. <clears throat> and in fact, quite frankly, it wasn't until recent years that I realized that there were people like yourself and others who have websites devoted to it and podcasts and I'm like what what I mean and then I started getting you know because I I wasn't really on social media that much and I'm still not that you know into it but people you know will constantly DM me like oh my god you don't even know I became an you know I, I wanted to go to college because of a different world and I wanted to do this and I'm like what I mean it's pretty um profound the effect that that show had and Creatively speaking, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to Debbie because I remember my first episode where Jada um, was on, and I wanted to do something different. So I had her wear a 1950s swimsuit over a pair of bell-bottom jeans, and the producers were like, what? What is that? Oh, my God, that's ridiculous. She looks crazy. Why would you do that? I don't even understand. They were, like, dogging it. Honey, Debbie said, child, that's great. Girl, just let her wear that. If that's what she wants to wear, let her wear that. I was like, okay. So Debbie had my back creatively, and that made all the difference in terms of just really giving me the green light to be creative. I mean, a lot of her shows, I look back on some of the stuff, and some of the stuff I was like, oh, yeah, I remember doing that. I mean, I hand-painted so much stuff and cut things and, you know, just on the spot. And I just, it was such a outlet for creativity. I mean, it, it's just, it was just an amazing experience. And when I look back on it now, it's like, wow, those were the days. Like, sometimes you don't get an opportunity to be that creative because you don't get supported by the producers or the network. But that show was really 
probably one of my best experiences. Well, it definitely comes through when you're watching the show. And I think part of, at least for me as a viewer and a fan of A Different World, part of what makes it come alive and come through is certainly the fashion. Like, I believe the characters and I can relate to the characters, not just, um, you know, how they were acting and the words that they were saying, but also the Mm -hmm. things that they were wearing. Like, Mm -hmm. I love Whitley. And I love that Whitley is Whitley, not just in the way that she acts, but down to, like, her clothes and the fur coat that she's always wearing (laughs) uh, and and all of that. And I think the fashion really makes it come alive. And I feel like many of the shows that you worked on, you know, had a lasting impact. And I want to know, like, what – were you thinking as you were working on these things? So you did a different world, you did living single, you know, you even do dear white people now. Um, mm-hmm. And that show is like, even though it's so new, it's still very impactful. And so as you're working on these sets, like, are you thinking, wow, I have the opportunity to make an impact on the culture, inspire people, or you're just like, I'm just doing what I love. Well, hmm. I think there's always an undercurrent of whatever my beliefs are. My beliefs are about a person, like, do you. Like, I'm not – I don't try to create fashion, per se. I try to create characters, you know, people who are – who have, you know, quirks and – or likes and flares and just like in real life, you know, some people might always like wear a hat, you know, that's their thing. But some people like back to a different world, you know, could be one of the things that he and I got together to do was get rid of the flip glasses. We were like, oh God. <laughs> Kadeem was like, I can't do this no more. Please help me, Seth, help me. <laughs> no, we love the flip ups. <laughs> well, back in the day, girl, the flip ups was played. Played, played, played. But I, but I, you know, in life, people ask me, oh, is this still in style, or can I wear this, can I wear I'm like, do you like it? You know, because I feel that there's too much pressure for people to fit in and try to keep up with the Joneses and with fashion and all of that, and I feel like it's more important to be true to who you are. So when I'm dressing characters, I'm not really necessarily looking at that responsibility, but because it's me and those are my values, it's going to come out of my work. So Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to create looks for a character, what I have done through the common thread through all of the shows that I work on and hope to do in the future is that I feel as though at this juncture, I'm really an expert at defining characters, which comes back to your original question, the role of a costume designer is to visually define the characters. So you'll notice that each of those characters that you love from a different world into in present day to your white people, they are all unique in and of itself. They don't have cross-pollination. Like, you will never see Freddie's character, you know, Cree Summer. You, she would never be wearing Whitley's wardrobe and vice versa. Jaleesa okay. would not be wearing Cree. You know what I'm saying? They all have their specific looks. You know, so even with living singles, you wouldn't see Khadijah and Sinclair or even Regine, or even Max, none of those none of those characters can borrow each other's clothes and, and make it work. They have a distinct 
look, a distinct persona and expression of who they are. So what I'm most trying to do is define that with layers and make it interesting and make it real and make it real life because people are like that. People are not just like, oh, let me go to a store and know what's on the mannequin. That's what I'm going to wear exactly like that. No, they mix it up with something they had in their closet before. They wear a different pair of shoes. You know what I'm saying? Nobody comes and mimics exactly what they see in a magazine. So my job is to fully embrace and expand visually who these people are to the point where you can turn your TV on mute and you can still understand who they are. So I feel like that's my job. I feel that that's what I'm always striving to do. And, you know, season after season, if I'm on a show for several seasons, I'm always like, let me, how do I figure out how to level up? How do I, you know, make them even more, more, even more of what, who they are, what bigger, better, or more expressive of whatever that story is that the producers and the writers are trying to tell. Mm-hmm. So costume designers have a like huge role um, in the TV and film industry, and I think sometimes as viewers we forget about all of the people that make up the characters and make them who they are. So we think mm-hmm. about the actors, um some people may think about the writers and the directors, but we forget about, like, the costume designers and, and everybody else. But like you're saying, all of that uh, creates the layers and creates the characters that we see and brings that visual representation of all of the characters that we know and love to life. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because even sometimes you'll you'll pay attention to this next time you hear interviews and somebody references the wardrobe, which sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But, you know, a lot of times and it's a little infuriating. They'll just say, oh, yeah, the wardrobe person, you know, and I'm like, no, we're not the wardrobe person. We're costume designers. You know, it's kind of, I don't think that they mean any disrespect from it, but it's a culture of not always placing the highest importance of what we do. You know, I think if we were writers, they would call us out by name. If we were the director, they would call us out by name. If we were the producer, they would call us out by name. But when it comes to makeup, hair, and wardrobe, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, the makeup people, what? (laughs) The wardrobe people, huh? The wardrobe girl. So, you know, you're, you're right. It's not a lot of thought that, and importance. I mean, it, they understand the importance. Clearly, they do, but it's not always expressed. No, agree. And I'm someone who like reads the credits, and I look for the costume designer just because that's something I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, but I definitely understand what you mean. I feel like in more recent years, it's been a little bit. I mean, this is just from my perspective as a viewer. So correct me if I'm wrong. But I know people have been more interested because especially when, like, Ruth Carter run her Oscar for Black Panther, now everybody's like, oh, you know, costume designer, that's an interesting role. Like, oh, let's look at these people and what they're doing in the industry and how they mm-hmm. contribute. Mm-hmm. So what are some other challenges that you've faced as a costume designer in the industry? 
What are some of the challenges I face? Yes. Um, I think some of the challenges are sometimes trying to um, get agreement between my vision and perhaps a producer's vision who a lot of times their ideas are not um, necessarily based in knowledge of wardrobe or fashion or direction. So you'll come across people who will start a sentence saying, you know, I don't know anything about it, but so that's your first red flag. <laughs> I don't know anything about fashion. I don't know anything about wardrobe, but here are my thoughts. And I don't have a problem receiving critique and or suggestions, but when you preface whatever you're saying by that, automatically I know that, okay, well, what's happening here? You know, and generally it'll be followed by something that doesn't really have a lot of validation. So mm-hmm. I find that to be challenging. Um, I think it's challenging that a lot of times our department is woefully uh, under under budgeted and uh, and a lot of times I feel the challenge is that people don't necessarily respect or understand what we do because I think it involves getting clothes on a, on a person's body. And I think that they might think, well, you know, I get up in the morning and I get dressed and I put on clothes, so it could be so difficult. <laughs> and so it's just a lack of knowledge, of general knowledge of what the job entails and and sometimes that is that you know there's a lot of education has to be uh has to take place you know with just producers and you know the accountants and people who you know will say yes to expenditures or you know just really you know sometimes you know there's I'll do a project and I want to be over and above creative and do something different and although they might say, yeah, we want this character to to, uh, to be something different, and then they'll reference, but we, and we want it to look like this person. But if you want it to be different, then that just the very definition, there is nobody that this person looks like. Why are you saying we want it to be different, but we want it to look like this person? So yeah. that's, that's a challenge, and that's frustrating, because a lot of times people are afraid to do something different. and you know, they don't want to take that risk. They don't want to take that chance. Then there's there's shows where, you know, they're, they're black characters, but the networks, you know, the ones who are making the decisions, a lot of times they're not. So they weigh in and they want to tell you, you know, sometimes what a black character will wear or say. And that's kind of infuriating because the last I checked, I'm black, you're not. So, you know, when you want to weigh in about something that I personally know about, that becomes a little frustrating as well. But that, it goes with the territory because at the end of the day, if the product, meaning the show, is not your show, it's really a network show, then at at the end of the day, you know, they kind of get the final say. So my job, if I'm trying to really further my vision, then my job is to, with diplomacy and care, further, you know, my goal, but at the same time, honor whatever it is that they're trying to do. So there's always this this balance and this fine 
line that we walk. So how much power do you have in those situations? Is it an instance where people are like, okay, well, you're the expert on this um, as far as wardrobe and um, defining this character through wardrobe, so we're going to lean on your expertise, or is it more like this is what you, this is what we want, just give us what we want? A lot of times is this is what we want to give us what, what we want, and then that means that that's, this is not the project for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that that's the beauty of being older and wiser and having, you know, a breadth of knowledge and experience. It's like, no, that's not the project for me. I'm not going to work on something that that is the mindset. And that exists. That certainly exists, but that's not what I'm down for. I want to be respected in terms of my creativity and my talent and what I bring to the table and my vision. And I absolutely, it's, it's, there's never an opportunity for me to say, okay, my, my word is a final word because it's a collaborative effort always between myself, the actors, the writers, the producers, and even the network. So it is a collaborative effort, but I have to, in, in all instances, be respected for what I'm bringing to the table. I'm not just going to fulfill your laundry list of this is what we want. Right. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You said, I don't try to create fashion. I try to create characters. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through, like, what that process of creating a character is like? Well, once again, um, this great transition. I mean, you know, I was just talking about the fact that it's collaborative. So when I read a project, I'll, you know, I'll read it initially and I'll start getting my understanding of what the project is about and who these characters are. Then there's always a conversation with the writers and then the producers and they tell me what their intention for the character is. You know, just broad strokes, like what this person is, this person, what their job is, what their socioeconomic status is, what kind of personality they have, you know, are they single, how old they are, all the demographic information. Then I kind of let that sit with me, like, okay, so this character is, you know, some of that will be in the script and other parts of that will not. So now we're adding a layer of understanding of who these people are. Then they begin to cast these roles. And so the casting will definitely start more clearly, concisely defining who they are. Oh, this is an African-American woman, and she's got, you know, short hair, and, and she's militant, or she's a fashionista, or she, you know, is gay, or she is a, you know, single mom, or whatever the case may be. Now I begin to visually see who this person is. So the ideas start emerging. Like they, they're first, they're, when I first read the script, they're very general ideas, not based on anything other than my first takeaway. And the more conversations I have with writers and producers and then the actors, ideas start emerging and will start getting descriptors, like adjectives about who this person is. Oh, oh they're sassy. Oh, they're, they're a loud mouth. Oh, they, you know, they're shit talkers. Or they're conservative. Or they're meek. So all those general adjectives for me, in my mind, they translate into some thing, an, an, an idea of a wardrobe. So if I'm saying that you're sassy, then you might have on, you know, 
vivid colors, maybe reds and oranges. That's sassy to me. You know what I'm saying? So if you're meek, you might have on pastels or some darker colors, or you're not, you know, maybe you wear a sweater. You're not, maybe your your blouse is more buttoned up versus somebody sassy. You're going to unbutton that blouse. Maybe it's going to be silk. It's a print. It's bold. So see what I'm saying? You're Like how adjectives will automatically start channeling your focus into what that look should be like and then I um so you know then I just start thinking about okay now that I have a more of a specific idea and that was born out of the general ideas I start thinking about what can I do that makes these characters unique you know what what makes them them um, we talked earlier about living single, you know, and I was thinking about the Sinclair character. I mean, she was quirky, so she would wear, you know, hats, and 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 that kind of was just an added layer of fancifulness and, and whimsy. So that was kind of expressed in her jewelry, her dangly earrings, and her hat and floral dresses, because now that becomes a specific quirk and characteristic of that specific character so that's basically the process it goes from general to very specific and you know even like on dear white people one of the actresses you know he came in and he had this uh scarf like a a a vintage uh, pocket square that was tied around his wrist i said you know what i want to keep that for your character i love that and that just became part of who he is. It's very subtle. You may not have ever noticed it or looked at it, but it's 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 nuanced, and it really helps. The more I can add those type of specific items to their look and to their wardrobe, the actor now starts to feel more of who this person is. They begin mm-hmm. to breathe and live this person. So it's it, and you can kind of envision it. So if I gave you your character and I gave you just some jeans and a white T-shirt, who are you? Who the hell are you? <laughs> what is, what right. does that mean? <laughs> but if I gave you a vest and if I gave you a pork pie and if I gave you a leather uh, necklace and if I gave you, you know, some boots, you know, now you're like, okay, all right, now I'm kind of feeling who this is. Okay, I, I got it, I got it. So the more I can do that, each and every single time, the more it tells the story of, of whatever that story is in that episode, in that script, in that movie, and it helps the actor tell the story also because now they feel who this person is, and at the end of the day, we want you to feel who they are. Right. I think that's great. And um, that's obviously something that you've picked up from working in the industry for years, because I imagine, um, you know, your first experience, did you have that same kind of thought process? Well, I probably did, but it wasn't as defined. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And I think Mm -hmm. it became more and more developed over the years and through my experience and talking and working with so many actors and their input that I just started, like, really – defining like okay this is putting words to what I was doing so back to the first experience that I didn't know what a stylist was I was doing this thing I was doing a stylist job but I didn't know that it was ever the label I was like oh okay so I was doing these things you know all along probably not as expertly probably not as um, purposefully 
because I didn't know that that, you know, I didn't have the words to describe it. But now after doing it for so many years, I do know that it is a process, that it is a defined process, it is a step-by-step process, and it can be replicated, actually, and it can be taught. And it's something that when I'm training, you know, people who, mentees and people who are interested in the industry, now I can articulate, this is how you do it, or this is how I do it. You know, I don't know how other designers do it, but this is what I do. This is the path to, to making my characters work. So now that you've kind of conquered, in a sense, costume design, and, you know, you created these characters over the years, and not just, like, any characters, but you know, iconic characters that people still talk about, relate to, and watch today. So what is next for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, I I don't know that I've conquered um, as much as, yeah, you know, I've been really fortunate and blessed at, like you said, creating these iconic characters. And I'm hoping to do more of that. And, just be more innovative and boundless and, you know, have more fresh ideas that come to the table. You know, I want to have that exhilarating feeling that I had when I put that bathing suit over the bell bottoms of Jada's, you know, pants, you know, that it was like, oh, I've never seen this. And like, wow, this is new. And I want to be able to work on projects that have characters that lend themselves to doing something like that. And then I also want to subliminally, you know, hopefully push the idea, and I talked about it earlier, just in terms of um, encouraging individuals to be just that individual, to not necessarily have to follow the style, to not have to necessarily follow the trend. Now, if you want to, you know, mimic something a character that I've developed is doing, that's, you know, that's fine. That's a great compliment. But once again, I want to encourage people to be expressive in their own right and to kind of do things in the way and put clothes together the way they want to. You know, when I see people on the red carpet and I talk to actors all the time, they're like, oh, you know, I need you to help me find something because, you know, I can't wear this outfit because I've already been seeing it. And I'm like, and? <laughs> you know, why does our landfills have to be filled with, you know, clothing it's like it's ridiculous this whole fast fashion is ridiculous the idea that people can't replicate or be seen in the same thing is ridiculous the whole i don't even like watching award shows because the question ultimately is like oh who are you wearing why is that the question how about and ask the question about their work what do you think about you know the role you were playing etc i mean this whole commercialism you would think because i'm a costume designer i would be into it but i'm not i just don't like that it's just become this this commercial fashion show. Um, I'm not I'm not I'm not here for that. I'm here for people just kind of going in their closet and you know <laughs> and rewearing something they had on at the last show or something that they just liked or they just put it together. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I want to continue my efforts to give us opportunities and exposure. I don't think that there are enough people. In, in the position of hiring, in the position of power that really give us an opportunity to, one, get the job, and two, to shine. And certainly from when I started in the late 80s to today, there's more black costume designers than 
at that time, but there's, there's, it's not on parity. And there's not enough people that I talk to and come across that it's even on their radar. Like they, it doesn't even occur to them that this is something important. And I want to, it's not even just about, you know, diversity for diversity's sake. It's like diversity because imagine if I said, here, paint this picture, but I'm only going to let you use red, green, and yellow and white. You're like, okay, you know, you can paint a picture with those colors, but what if I said, here, here's purple, here's orange, here's lime, here's chartreuse, here's burgundy. I mean, come on now. (laughs) Now we're expanding the palette, and it's to everybody's benefit to be able to bring in experiences and voices and perspectives to tell stories. Life is about telling stories. The entertainment industry is about telling stories. And don't we all want to be uplifted by a variety of stories, a variety of perspectives? And that only happens when you bring us in, when you when you allow me as a black costume designer to be expressive on your project in a way that maybe a non-black costume designer could not possibly be because they don't share the same experience and or background. I'm not saying I'm necessarily better. I'm saying I have another set of colors to bring to the story in general. And there's, it blows my mind when I talk to people and they don't even, it's not, it's not something that they consider. And it's, it's um, to me very, very unfortunate. But what I have been doing throughout my career and will continue to do is as much as possible is to give us opportunities. I think that's so interesting that you say it's sometimes it's not even on people's radar, especially with like diversity being such a huge buzzword right now. Right. A lot of people just give lip service because it is a buzz word and, you know, you have to throw that out to be, you know, current and now and accepted and politically correct. But beyond an interview, if somebody's sticking a mic in your face and said, oh, yeah, what do you think about diversity? What are you actually doing? What are you actually doing? Who have you talked to? Who have you referred to? Who have you, you know, like I work on a black lady sketch show and that show, man, my God, the first, when I went in to interview, and I'm going to say that in air quotes because it wasn't really an interview per se, but it was, and I walked into this building, production office, and I looked around, I was like, oh my God, everybody was black, all these black females and few of few men, but all these different hairstyles and fros and 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 braids and cornrows and I'm like, oh my God. So I go in and I was so excited. And the thing about that show, I always say that it wasn't that I wanted to do that show. I had to do that show. I had to be a part of that amazingness. I was like, oh my God. And when I left, I was so excited. I, you know, we, the, the interview was in an inner office. And when I went back out to the outer office, I went around to each individual and was high five. And I was like, yes, yes. I mean, I thought I had died and gone to Wakanda. I was like, this is amazing. The fact that they purposefully wanted to make sure that the predominant people that were working behind the scenes were African-American or, you know, or, or uh, women. 
And I was like, wow, this is incredible. It was. It didn't end up being 100%, but I give them an A for effort. That is for hell sure. <laughs> and, I mean, and just the fact that the thought of that being important, that was something that they set out to do. And it took a little longer because, you know, at the time, a lot of uh, people were working, and which is great, you know, because this entertainment industry ebbs and flows, and right now nothing is flowing. But at the time, you know, it was definitely a lot of people were working, so it was kind of hard to coalesce all of that talent. But, man, there was enough to really make a huge difference. And, you know, I, I just applaud their efforts and, you know, hope to see, you know, it doesn't have to be 100%, you know, black work people or non non white people working on a project but just more can we just have more and more and not just the key hair makeup wardrobe that's an easy that's a no-brainer you know when you're working on a project with african-american stars you know it's the first thing that's kind of a no-brainer hair makeup wardrobe but how about uh grip electrical eddie editing cameraman i mean there's a, at least 100 people plus per crew on any project, and I would like to see more of them look like me. No, I'm here for that, and I'd like to watch more shows that are employing more people that look like me. <laughs> exactly, and the more we talk about it, hopefully, you know, and the more, you know, like I said, some people, it doesn't occur to them, so maybe, you know, the more, you know, other people talk about it, the more it will occur to them, the more they will consider it, the more effort that they'll make to uh seek us out and it's not even like we're living under a rock i mean everybody is involved in a union so you know or you look at a show and you look at the credits or you call other line producers and say hey who did your wardrobe you know this is great you know and look on imdb i mean there's so many resources where people if they really wanted to find people of color they could do it but there's always the excuse i keep hearing Oh, we couldn't find enough. I'm like, oh my god, this is what white people like to say. This is, and I've heard black people say that shit. I mean, but this is what white people. Oh, we didn't know. We didn't. We we couldn't find. We were trying to, but we. Oh my god, I can't with that. But but that's what they say. And what are you gonna say? Like you know, so you just go uh huh, and and you suck it up and you take a deep breath and you keep on going do you have any inspiring words or encouraging words or a piece of advice for anyone out there who's interested in the career path that you have right now um i would say do i have career advice i would say to mm, that's a hard one because Ugh, it's going to be the same whether you whether you have to pay your bills or not. I mean, a lot of times I get people who are younger and they're living at home and or they're living in a situation where they don't, you know, they don't have a lot of monthly expenses. So in that regard, I say volunteer your time, even if it's for an hour. Like really extend yourself. Go to your local colleges who have a performing arts department volunteer your time learn as much as you possibly can look at the trades in your in your city see if there's a uh a non-union production that you can say you know what i'll i'll be there to iron the clothes to get coffee to polish shoes 
to do whatever. The whole point is not to necessarily be doing that job, but to be in the environment so that you can see the pace of that particular environment. You can see the cadence. You can be a fly on the wall and 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 hear uh, the, what kind of uh, bureaucracy is happening within the confines of a particular set because each of these mediums are different. So working on a, a commercial set is different than working on a video or working on um, a, a TV show or working on a play or working on a movie or working on a short. They're all different. They all have a different pace. There's different budgets. There's different things that require that are required of you. And the more you get exposure to each of these, the more you'll start narrowing it down and go, you know what, I don't think I'm suited for films. I'm not suited for plays. Oh, but I love television. I hate television, but I love commercials. I love, you know what I'm saying? You'll get much more information. Plus, you'll start building um, a, a resume. And say yes, I worked on this, 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 and this because ultimately people will give you an opportunity, but you have to be able to say that you know what? Yeah, I'm not totally green. Yes, I did have the exposure on these various projects. I do know a little bit about these various projects. And once you're there, talk to every single body that you can possibly talk to. The first uh, job that I did, that commercial, those 17 commercials, I spoke to the sound guy, and to this day. The sound, the information that I got from him is information I use to this day. It was invaluable, totally invaluable. And I was like, oh, my God, aha. He let me put on the the, 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 uh, the headphones and hear what he hears. And, you know, I talked to the craft service person. I thought, oh, my God, I talked to everybody. So if you get an opportunity, milk it. If you get an opportunity, ask as many questions as somebody will allow you. If they don't want you to ask any questions, just shut up and watch, <laughs> learn, listen. But most of all, get exposure and don't try to necessarily jump in and say, oh, i got to get paid. That's not the route to go. Now, if you're in a situation where you have monthly expenditures and you need to, to pay the rent, you need to pay the mortgage, and you still want to make a pivot and get into this industry, try and, and, and look for something on the weekends. Lots of people are doing um, Internet, you know, uh, shows. They are all looking for people that can help, you know, with those types of shows. And a lot of that happens on the weekends, even if it's, like I said, a few hours a day. You don't have to be there all day, just maybe a few hours, whatever it is that you can do it. But the name of the game is getting that exposure, getting that experience, talking to people, being aggressive, and being sure of yourself and knowing what you can do and what you can't do and don't sell yourself short. And that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ceci. I told y'all she was iconic. Can you believe that her first ever styling project was with Janet Jackson? Like, who does that? I need those friends. I need friends who can get me jobs with Janet Jackson. Make sure you all check out her work on Mixed Dish, which you can find on TV or Hulu, and Dear White People, which is streaming on Netflix right now. And of course, make sure to share this episode if you loved it. Even if you didn't love it, share it because somebody else might. And follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. And most importantly, tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye bye.